Hey, welcome to a new century of More Than Bread podcasts. Well, not really a century time-wise, but this is episode number 201. More Than Bread is a podcast that without reservation, with glorious expectancy, believes in the power of the Word of God to shape our souls and change our lives. When the Spirit of God grabs hold of the Word of God and fills the people of God with the life of God, man, good stuff happens. We're going to jump right into this episode because it's a hard one. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's a hard one. In this episode, we're going to talk about the unmistakable and often necessary connection between suffering and joy. We're going to start with the last part of chapter one and Paul's epistle of joy, but we might roam a bit farther afield in God's word also, because I think this is a good topic to get a broad sense of God's heart on the subject. So let me read again, Philippians chapter one, this time verses 22 through 30, but we'll focus in on the last few verses. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And remember, these words come right after Paul's declaration, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. In verse 22, he writes, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you, say that again, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, Paul knew something about suffering, right? I mean, imagine yourself in Paul's place when he's writing these words. You've lost your job. You're on lockdown in a strange country, isolated from your friends. Your your reputation has been trashed. You're arrested on false charges, physically beaten, thrown in jail, uncertain how many tomorrows you even have left after today. For four years, that was Paul's life. And I'd be wondering, God, what in the world are you doing? He spent two years in prison in Caesarea on false charges, and he's put on a ship to go to Rome to appear before Nero, who hates Christians. On the way, he's shipwrecked, stranded on an island, bitten by a poisonous snake. He finally makes it to Rome to spend two more years in prison, awaiting a trial before Nero that might well end in his execution. And, and what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, if I could choose, I don't know which one I'd choose. I'm torn between living and dying. If it was my choice, I'm ready for the gain. Not because I'm depressed or the struggle is too great. This isn't about giving up on life. This is praying for the lottery. Come on, God, let let today be the day I win. But until then, I'll live for Christ. Now, how many of us are looking forward to death? It's coming. You know that, right? Last time I checked, the worldwide mortality rate is pretty close to 100%. And between now and then, like Jesus said to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. And and Paul went even further. In verses 27 through 29, he said, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, for it has been granted to you. It's been gifted to you. You've been given a gift that on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer, also to suffer for him. 
for it has been granted to you. Granted as in you have been given a gift. You've been granted the gift of suffering for Christ. How many of us consider suffering a gift? See, Paul found joy in suffering, but but we're thinking, well, I, you know, I don't know. Paul didn't have much choice. He had to suffer. Christians in some parts of the world, they have to suffer for Jesus, but but that's not us. And in many ways, you're right. Most of us don't have to worry about losing our lives or our stuff because we live for Jesus. But you know what? You can choose to suffer for Jesus. It's called sacrifice. Sacrifice is chosen suffering. You can choose to suffer for Jesus. It's called sacrifice. Sacrifice is chosen suffering. Now, is it wrong to desire gain? I don't think so. Is it wrong to desire your own happiness? No. But what if our desires for gain are meant to be fulfilled in another season of our lives, the season of our life after death? What if God created those desires so that your heart would long for heaven? What if our hearts need a reset? What if I don't need to gain every gain and even experience every joy before I die because there's so much more gain to come after? And what if the greatest gain in the next life is found when in this life we make much of Christ? Can I imagine that kind of reset life where, where death is not a risk and suffering is a gift and, and joy comes in the suffering? Only if I make much of Christ. He's the king of the kingdom. He's Lord and Savior. He's ruler of all things. He's the tomb wrecker, life changer, way making future shaper to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he is why we do what we do and seek to be who he is. There's no one like Jesus. He is the center of our gravity, worthy of first place in our hearts and minds. In fact, as we truly get to know him, everything else appears dull in comparison. You know, sometimes someone speaks words and they're just words, but sometimes words become incarnated truth. You know what I mean? Like the message has saturated their souls. They've lived this truth out. They're speaking from experience. And, and knowing Paul's story, you know that at the very beginning of his apprenticeship with Jesus, God, God delivered some words to Paul through a man named Ananias. This was before Paul was Paul, back when he was Saul. In Acts 9, verses 15 through 16, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He's a chosen vessel. God said to Ananias, go tell Paul he's a chosen vessel. He's been chosen by me. And you know what? Honestly, there's something that grabs our hearts when we talk about being chosen, right? To be chosen is a pretty powerful thing. I've been chosen. Maybe you can think of some personal chosen moments, like being chosen for marriage, chosen for promotion, chosen as a friend, or chosen for a scholarship or by a team. What, what comes to mind when you hear you've been chosen, I'm talking about a choosing that says, I see you. I see something of value in you. You matter. I want you on my team. That kind of choosing. Before he became a Jesus follower, Paul's name was Saul, and Saul was an interesting guy, born to wealthy parents, educated in the finest university in the country. At some point, he so passionately embraced his religious heritage that he came to view Christians as the enemy. He gained the support of religious, Jewish, religious, and, and national leaders and began to terrorize those who did not believe like he believed. And Christians were thrown in jail and tortured and killed. He became like this living, breathing boogeyman. Like Christian parents might say to their kids, if you aren't good, Saul's going to get you. 
I mean, he, he was the guy who had Stephen, one of our leaders, stoned. But then one day as he traveled to Damascus on his way to persecute more Christians, he has this intense encounter with Jesus, the risen Christ. Jesus knocked him off his donkey, blinded his eyes, and told him his life was headed in the wrong direction. Go to Damascus and wait for my instructions. And, and so, so his friends led him into town and he waited there blind for three days. And during those days, God spoke to a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And thank God for Ananias. Nobody else in the Christian community wanted to have anything to do with Saul, right? And in fact, let's be honest, Ananias probably wasn't all that excited about it. But God spoke in a vision and said, Ananias, go to Straight Street to the house of Judas and ask for Saul. He's praying to me right now. I don't know, but I think Ananias probably <laughs> said something like, God, are you out of your ever-living mind? I know you think he's changed, but what if it's just a trick? Listen, Ananias, I want you to tell Saul that he's a chosen vessel of mine. Wow, imagine hearing that. I believe those seven words combined with a kick-butt Jesus encounter changed Saul's life. To be chosen by God when he was the enemy of God. To be loved when all he had given Jesus was hate. What if you truly believed right now that you are chosen by God? And before I go any further, can I, I just tell you, if you are a Christ follower, you are God's chosen vessel. God has chosen you and is shaping you. He adopted you into his family because he wanted to. He's created you for a purpose. Not, not just Paul, you. Ananias, God said, go to Saul. Oh, but God, do you know all the bad stuff Saul has done? But the Lord said to, said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And I'll be honest, if I'm Ananias, I'm thinking, wait a minute, he's going to suffer? That jerk Saul is going to suffer? Yeah, I can tell him that. But let that message soak in. He's a chosen vessel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. In other words, Saul, you are my chosen vessel, but if you want to fill your jar with Jesus, it's going to hurt. If you want to become like Jesus, it's going to hurt. You're going to suffer. I can't get away from this moment. I can't help but wonder if God meant it literally. As Saul sat there blind in Damascus, did God give him a vision of every moment of hardship? And there'd be so many moments of suffering and pain and persecution and loss. What if in those days God gave him a vision of every hard moment he would experience if he went full out for Jesus, if he sought to fill the jar of his life to the brim with Christ? And then he said, okay, Saul, now you choose. Your jar filled with Jesus and your life filled with suffering or your jar filled with stuff and a lifetime of comfort. What would you choose? Paul chose his jar filled with Jesus. And you know what that means? It means Paul had found in that one brief encounter with the presence of Jesus, he'd found it to be so awesomely amazing, so wonderfully sweet and powerfully compelling that it was worth any price. Fill up my jar with Jesus. I don't care what it costs. John Orberg once said, if you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't, the number one reason will be the suffering of mankind. But if you ask people who believe in God, when they grew the most spiritually, the number one answer will be in the moments that they experience suffering. That's called a crucible, a season when our hearts are transformed and we're shaped for glory. The very story of our lives at times is rewritten in the crucibles of hard times and pain and difficulty. That word crucible comes from the ancient Latin word crucibulum, which was simply a hardened earthen pot used to melt metal. 
It was a jar used to bring intense heat to something that needed transformation. And this idea of a crucible is woven throughout Scripture. In Proverbs 17, 3, it says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord refines the heart. In Isaiah 48, 10, God is talking to his people and says, See, I've refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And it's not just Old Testament stuff. In Acts 14, 22, we are encouraged to endure with these words, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, all through Scripture, we we find the necessity of the crucible over and over again. Paul is describing the crucible experience in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 11, when he says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So how do we get through the crucibles of life? In 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 14, Paul says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Just breathe deeply of resurrection faith. Develop a sense of expectancy and hope. Look beyond this life to the next with regularity and consistency. Tell yourself over and over again, the best is yet to come. Say it. Paul says, we believe it, so we speak. Breathe in the resurrection and speak it out in faith. Say it over and over again. Make it a breath prayer. As you breathe in, pray, thank you, Jesus. As you breathe out, pray for my resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for my resurrection. It's not just the resurrection of Christ. It's our resurrection. We know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us. Never stop believing that the best is yet to come. Your crucible is never the end of your story. I love how Paul talks about it in Romans 80. He says that all of creation is groaning in anticipation, like a woman in childbirth groaning to give birth to a new thing, breathing deeply of future glory, probably involves some groaning for glory. We groan in anticipation of what is to come. Robert Smith, an African-American preacher, once shared about his mother's groaning. He said, I used to watch my mom and I did not understand. When we had physical needs, some lack, no food, she'd walk around and start moaning. She used to say, when you moan, the devil doesn't know what you're talking about. She'd say, mm-hmm. Tears would be rolling down her eyes, no food, but then somebody's knocking on the door. Here comes some turnip greens and cornbread. All she did was moan, and I didn't understand that, Smith said. I didn't dare ask her because she wasn't moaning to me. See, her moaning was conceived in suffering, but it was meant to give birth to glory. And sometimes all we can do is groan, but we grow and groan in hope. We see sexual choices destroying hearts and we groan. We, we become part of a relational rift, a division, and we groan. We see families breaking and we groan. We wonder if this or that part of my heart or life will ever change and we groan, but we groan in hope. And when hope and groaning collide, it becomes a prayer. We call it travailing prayer. It's prayer that begins with a burden and takes flight with hope. It's a prayer for new chapters to be birthed, for new life. And if we can't groan in hope, we need to take a deep breath of God's story. In 2 Corinthians 14, it says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is 
unseen is eternal. God's story is unseen, but it is eternal. It is real. Breathe deeply of God's story. I'm God's jar. My life is a container of a great treasure and unimaginably great power. Isn't that what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Don't you think he's thinking back to that moment in Ananias' basement? He's calling us jars. And what is a jar? It's a container, right? And most jars are defined by what they contain. Water bottles, a flower vase, a cookie jar, a fine bottle of wine. So when it comes to you, the jar of clay, which is your life, what is the treasure? Paul says it's glory. It should be glory. The treasure is the glory of God coming alive in your life through suffering. Through suffering, it's the Spirit making you more like Jesus. Through suffering, it's the transformation of your heart through suffering. Ultimately, it's the life of Jesus in you. And when it comes to your life, God is passionately obsessed with shaping your jar for Jesus. He wants you to become so full of Jesus that when people look at the container of your life, all they can see is his heart. He wants to fill you so full of Jesus that the inside shapes the outside so that his glory spills out of your jar into the jars of life all around you. But take a deep breath and hear me again. Your story full of Jesus does not happen without the crucible moments. It doesn't happen without getting shaped on the potter's wheel. We want change without the crucible. We want glory without the pain. We want resurrection without death. But in reality, that's the order. The crucible leads to change. The pain leads to glory. And death leads to life. Not a single hard time is wasted. And that's why suffering is a gift. And that's why there is this unbreakable connection between suffering and joy. Father God, I I pray for each and every person listening. I pray especially those who are, man, going through a time of suffering or those who will be going through. God, it seems like that's, that's a story for all of us. We've either come through suffering or we're going through suffering or at some point we will go through suffering. God, would you connect in our hearts, our minds? Would you connect in our souls this, this connection between suffering and joy? Would you help us to choose joy even in the midst of the suffering? Would you give us a hope in resurrection life? Would you give us a hope that that not only did you resurrect Jesus, but you will resurrect us, that the best is yet to come? Would you give us such a passion for Christ that we would say along with Paul, no matter what it costs, no matter how much suffering is down the road, fill my jar with Jesus. Fill my life with Christ. God, thank you that You do great things in the suffering. In the crucible moments, you refine our hearts so that ultimately we become more like Jesus. There are a few greater catalysts for spiritual growth in the crucible moments that you give us. And and so, God, we say whatever you need to do in us so that you can do whatever you want to do through us, we say come. Come and do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.